0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: The Air Force is rushing to prepare a new generation of weather satellites. It recently decommissioned one of five existing satellites under the Defense Meteorological Satellite Program, the MSP. The remaining four are operating years longer than they were designed to. For a progress report, we turn to Ball Aerospace Program Manager, Allison Bartow. Ms. Bartow, good to have you on. Great to be here and Low Earth Orbit Division Chief Charlotte Gerhardt of the Space Force Space and Missile Systems Center. Ms. Gerhardt, good to have you on.
0: Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Let's start with what's going on now. These satellites that are up there, the DMSP, who do they belong to and what do they do? And uh, let's, let's start there.
0: Thanks, Tom. This is Charlotte, and I'll speak to the DMSP satellites. As you said, there are four operational satellites. They belong to the U.S. Space Force. And these satellites measure, among other things, ocean surface, wind speeds, and direction. And that's what the follow-on satellite, WSFM, Weather System Follow-on Microwave, will address. There is no specific timeline for the end-of-life of those DMSP satellites. As we've done with the prior satellites, we will let them operate as long as they are alive.
1: So as long as they're sending data, you'll say, okay, we'll take it.
0: That is correct.
1: And this data is used primarily for Air Force operations or also other armed services, or what is the data ultimately put in service for?
0: The data is used by all services of the armed forces. It's also made available to NOAA and NASA and international partners so that it can be used in weather models around the globe.
1: And you say there's no particular timeline that you'll use the current satellites as long as possible, but they do sometimes die, and you did decommission one. And so what happens if, if you're down to four, and what happens if you got down to three? At some point, you've got to launch here, though, correct?
0: So that's the intent. That's why we have procured follow-on satellites, WSFM, and the intent is to launch those as soon as we can so that we can continue to have that operational capability.
1: And Allison, that is what your company is concerned with, is constructing those? Absolutely.
2: We've been working on the design for the next generation of these satellites since 2018.
1: And I imagine they're more than just simple replacements because of the technology advancing in imaging and sensing and bandwidth and so on. So give us a sense of what, when the new ones eventually replace the existing ones, what might be added to the capabilities?
2: Absolutely. We're working primarily on addressing the ocean surface vector winds, as well as ice concentrations, number of other critical weather parameters with these new satellites. And the satellite that we're building now, WSFM, its primary instrument is really a next generation of a microwave instrument that we previously built for NASA called GMI. And this new satellite adds digital channels into the instrument to allow us to get those wind directions.
1: Got it. And that really leads to a question I've had. Uh, I've recently talked to NASA and also to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, all of whom have satellite programs going for various looks at different aspects of the Earth, besides what they look out into space with, but just looking at the earth and so forth, is there generally coordination among all of these agencies that are looking at wind and weather and ice and all of these factors such that there's maybe less redundancy and you can complement one another more? Charlotte?
0: Yep, Yep. that's an excellent question. The answer is absolutely. We coordinate very closely with all of those agencies so that our systems don't repeat, are not redundant, but they are complementary
1: we're speaking with Charlotte Gerhardt. She's the Low Earth Orbit Division Chief of the Space Force Space and Missile Systems Center. And with Allison Bartow, she's a Ball Aerospace Program Manager. And what's the grand challenge in building a new satellite? What does it take such that you don't simply replicate the old one? I mean, I've always wondered why, you know, when the B-52s die, well, just build more of those. Well, that's been explained to me why it's not practical. But in satellites, it's always moving, isn't it?
0: That's true. It is always moving. And the challenge is to keep up with the technology as it continues to change. So technology that went into the GMI sensor that Allison referred to is no longer available. We have the next generation of technology and making sure that that technology works and that we take full advantage of it to get increased capability is probably one of the biggest challenges. Allison, do you have anything to add?
2: I think you said it well. We always want to make sure when we're building something for space that we balance the combination of using heritage designs and processes that have already been proven and pushing the envelope forward just enough to take advantage of the technological advances that have become possible as time goes on.
1: And if some of the technologies of the image gathering and measurement and so forth can work in space or on Earth, but there are special challenges that have to harden them, I guess, because you can't go up and solder in some new transistor or something. I'm dating myself, it's a three-hole transistor, once they're launched. So what are the special challenges and special technologies that are required for satellite deployment of technology that might have dual use on on the Earth?
2: I think that you addressed it well, right? We need to make sure that any hardware that we're putting into space is able to withstand the environment that it sees there, which is more harsh than what we experience on the ground. So we need to make sure both that the hardware has been proven to be able to work in that environment. And then also, as you mentioned, we can't go fix things. So we need to make sure that anything we put into space has been thoroughly tested and verified prior to launch so that we're sure that it's going to be able to both work when it gets on orbit as well as last through and beyond its design life.
1: And finally, how will these get into orbit? What's the, what's the mechanism there?
0: These will be launched on rockets that are procured by the U.S. Space Force out of the Space and Missile Systems Center. The satellite weighs about 1200 kilograms. It goes into an orbit that's 130 kilometers in altitude and it will be launched from Vandenberg. We have not identified the specific launch vehicle yet. Its selection is due in about a year. So
1: 1,200 kilograms, that's bigger than a bread box, isn't it?
0: It's two meters tall, so about seven feet tall and about a meter in diameter. And Allison, you can correct me if I have my dimensions off.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit bigger than that. So the primary dish that collects the signal is 1.8 meters in diameter. And in order to fit well into a variety of launch vehicle options, that dish is stowed for launch so that we have as compact of a satellite as possible in the launch vehicle. And then we deploy this large dish on a set of booms up into position so that we can receive the signals and bounce those signals into our electronics to then process them into the data that we need. So it's fairly large, you know, as I said before, that this was based on the Heritage NASA instrument, GMI, and and that instrument was about, well, this instrument is about 40% bigger than the previous one. So it's not insignificant when you look at the full stack of the spacecraft plus the deployed instrument.
1: And before they launched, do you tuck a picture of a family member in there or sign the inside of a sheet of aluminum or something?
2: <laughs> um, we do not. We don't want to cause any space debris.
1: Got it. And then they would know who did it if it happened later on, right?
2: Right. Just, just our own memories that we were involved and had our fingerprints on it.
1: All right. Allison Bartow is a program manager at Paul Aerospace. Thanks for joining me.
2: Absolutely. Thank you.
1: And Charlotte Gerhardt is Low Earth Orbit Division Chief at the Space Force Space and Missile Systems Center. Ms. Gerhardt, thanks for joining me.
0: Thank you, Tom.
1: We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.
0: Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at GrifflesPlasma.com. Grab a 30 day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.